up, guys? It's Sunday, May 24th, 2020. Tomorrow is the first, first, first anniversary of my 30th birthday. How y'all doing? It's another edition of the FritzCast. Coming at you on a Sunday, which is very unusual uh, because a very important event happened yesterday. Uh, on Saturday, and we'll get to that uh, shortly, because uh, that's going to be a brunt of today's subject that we talk about. Um, so I'll save it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dive into the th- thick of it. Let me just say this though: if you don't like third parties, if you like, uh, if you like libertarian infighting, uh, if you like in- libertarian infighting, you might want to stick around. Because I'm definitely tossing my hat in the ring to 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 get targeted on my Twitter and all that crap with with my opinions on this thing, and then uh, but if you're if you're not a third party person, if you're one of these people who uh, who is gonna say this is not the time for this, we need to save our republic from Donald Trump uh, before this nation crumbles, might not be might not be the show for you, <laughs> might not be the episode for you, uh, but uh, regardless. That's what's coming up. That's going to be a large portion of this episode because uh, I need to get my thoughts out. I, I, I've read the Twitterverse. I've read what you libertarians are saying on the Twitterverse, and I need to pick some of that stuff apart and also agree with some of that stuff, uh, and, and we'll get to that. And I even have a new format uh, that we're going to try out for this episode to uh, put more focus on the content that, that I'm reading from. And looking at uh, the visual aids, if you will. And this window will shrink. We'll do a little picture-in-picture thing going on. We're, we're going to try it out. I'm trying to develop uh, some new graphics and things, too, to really spice up, you know, make the show more branded, if you know what I mean. Branding is an important thing. Uh, so this past week has uh, been, well, just like every other week, right? Uh, we have states opening up, right, from covid 19 restrictions, or at least the restrictions are being eased a little bit. Uh, that's going on uh, nationwide, I was going to say in the tri-state region, but uh, it's not just the tri-state region, it's uh, it's nationwide. It's a worldwide pandemic. Things are happening on a worldwide scale. I shouldn't have to say worldwide as much as I do. I really shouldn't, but uh, I mean, think about this. It's the end of May, it's coming up to June, and... Um, I don't want to sound selfish. There's going to be people who are going to say it, though. But some of it's just tiring. And I'm somebody, mind you, I I don't have much of a reason to to say it's tiring. I work every... I still go to work every day. My life has not changed for Fritz. Fritz still goes to work every day. Uh, I do have vacation coming up after this week. Thank, Thank goodness. Thank goodness I get two weeks away from work. Whereas most people are probably begging to go back to work, I have two weeks of vacation that I had to plot out back in November, so I'm going to take them. If I have to get housing projects done, if that's all I do, and the rest of the time I just get to enjoy with my wife and my daughter and not do very much, even with this stuff going on, so be it. I'll, I'll gladly take just 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 a, a, a drawback, but... During this whole process, ever since, you know, February, March, whenever it really started kicking up, life went unchanged for me, okay? 
the only restrictions that I that I note is wearing a mask in public and and uh, you know you know I like if I'm outside I don't wear a mask because there's a little point little point to wearing a mask outside uh, in an open you know natural fresh air environment uh, especially just you know I, I've already I've I've already run on that uh, concept of uh, you know social distancing you stay the Frick over there, and I'll stay the frick over here. You mind your business, I'll mind my business. I see people running around my neighborhood with masks on. By themselves! By themselves! You're by yourself. Don't don't let anybody come up in your personal bubble. Whatever happened to the personal bubble? I don't get that. But running around the neighborhood by yourself, riding your bike by yourself, and you're wearing you know one of these face masks. You know, I, I guess I get the sentiment. I guess I get, you know, oh, look, he's doing his part. I guess I get that. I guess so. And I guess that's fine. Uh, but ultimately, it's like watching that person drive their car by themselves wearing their mask in an enclosed vehicle. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Haven't you read that people have passed out from that? That Have, have you not? I don't, you know. So when I'm driving in my car, when I'm out and about... Um, I don't wear a mask. If I have to go, going into a store, going into the grocery store, because my wife kind of, you know, doesn't want to go into a grocery store right now because of the whole mask situation stuff, you know, so be it. I put a mask on when I enter the store. Um, While I'm waiting in line outside with everybody, I'm like, you know, you stay six feet that way, you stay six feet that way, and don't, don't breathe my air. This is my air. Don't breathe it. I, you know, I think that's social distancing, you know, and I think it's perfectly fine. There's the guy who doesn't care about people. Uh, whatever. Whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, like, I, I won't wear it. I won't wear it constantly. If I'm going into a store and I'm required to wear it, I will wear it, and I will wear it properly. I take an N95 mask that I have. Been reusing it because I don't want to be wasteful and, and, and depleting, you know, stockpiles of this crap. Uh, so I wear an N95 properly with a proper seal, even though a lot of people would say the beard, you know, prevents a proper seal, whatever. Uh, it's not like an SCBA mask where I can get a proper seal. But anyway, I wear an N95 covering uh, in stores. Such as that, but I don't really like. I don't. I've n- I never really frequented the stores. We used to go to the mall to walk around and kind of window shop, you know. Okay, so that's out of the question. Whatever. Uh, I I still go to the grocery store. I, I had to go to Home Depot the other day twice. Okay. Uh, but I wear my face coverings in there, uh, because you know that's that's the ordinance. I don't really do it because you know it's a state thing. You know, if if people are sitting here like this, libertarian's not doing things the right way. There's a state ordinance, but even if there wasn't a state ordinance, if the private business is saying, please wear a mask, I will respect the company's wishes and, and, and go and do. Uh, so, but, like, that's the only thing in this COVID thing that's really gotten to me is that sometimes I'll go to the store and, and you have to wait in line to actually get in the store because they're policing the amount of people that go in, at least here, at least at Aldi. <laughs> at least at Aldi they're doing that. So, uh, my, my, my usual going to Aldi would be just popping in and, and leaving within 
10 or 15 minutes. Now it's about 10 minutes of waiting outside to get inside. And then when I'm inside, it still rolls as fast as it normally does. Grab my items, check out, and leave. So uh, a 10 minute inconvenience, yes, that that happens. Going to Home Depot, it's a little bit more than 10 minutes uh, for them policing the amount of people that go in. And then some of the other uh, stores that I frequent aren't even doing that. Um, wholesale clubs, BJ's, and all that. That I, I walk right in, walk right out. Uh, no big deal. But that that's that's the, the, the hurdles that I've faced. And are they kind of annoying? Eh, sure, whatever. But but not not that bad, uh, to say the least. Other than that, I mean, work has changed a little bit. I have to wear a mask at work. But I again, I try to limit. I'm, I'm not trying to work a whole eight-hour shift and then some wearing the mask the entire time. If I'm in my office by myself, I don't wear it. Because there's little point, and there's also just negative side effects of, of wearing it for that long that can drive you nuts and are also not healthy. So <sighs> so there's that. There's that update on COVID. I want to focus on more COVID. Let's, let's, let's see how these rollouts go with, with opening states back up. I, I, I don't, I'm not on the bandwagon that you guys are. Uh, not necessarily this audience, but, uh, you know, people in general. I'm not on the bandwagon of, you know, reading article after article about, oh, the state opened up and now the tests have shot up. Because testing has been increasing slightly, like, every day. So, of course, positive hits are going to go up. This is, uh, this is a disease that a lot of people get, and they're asymptomatic. They don't even know. Uh, so, w- when people tout that line about, you know, oh, the diagnoses are going up, more positive tests, uh, and it's all because of these re- uh, restrictions being eased, I don't, I don't put a lot of credence into that because... Uh, a positive test really it's not even it's not even a good talking point when you know a good 80% or more of those positive tests people don't even know are experiencing only mild symptoms uh of covid you know uh it's death rates that that are are a little more concerning and and when it comes to these death rates with covid anyway i feel as though uh much more focus needs to be put on the comorbidities, you know, the other things that these people had uh, that contributed to their death. I mean, people are ultimately going to say the the, the argument to shoot down anything, uh, intellectually speaking, when we talk about this, will just be that if they didn't get COVID, they would still be alive. Um, and, and that the comorbidity, you know, the co- the comorbidities don't matter, but they do matter, uh, especially considering how numbers have been adjusted because tests weren't issued or tests, you know, results came in late or or things of that nature. But COVID becomes a tiring subject, especially when it's still something that you're in learning phases of. Because right now, the CDC is saying that they believe, at least anyway, or that the data is showing that uh, picking up COVID off of a surface for example, uh, is probably far less likely to happen than direct human-to-human contact. 
which is where you know wearing the mask would come into play. You'll you'll recall the CDC uh, initially said, "Oh, masks are stupid. That's a dumb idea. You don't need to do it." And they did that to not cause a mass panic for people running out and buying all the masks, and for an even greater shortage coming into play, what have you. So now the CDC is saying. Uh, it's harder to contract to contract this virus through surfaces, uh, like workstations and all that. Does that mean I'm going to stop wiping them down with Clorox wipes? No. No, it doesn't. Because uh, if anything, a lot of my friends have been saying this too, if anything, if there's any big revelation from this COVID-19 business, it's the fact that people are really dirty, uh, unsanitary dunderheads. For real. For real. Uh, it's made me a little more conscious about, you know, do I wash my hands as often as I think I should? Do I use hand sanitizer when I can't immediately wash my hands? Do I wear gloves when gloves are present? Uh, you know, do I, do I take these steps? It's made, it's made me think about it. I think it's made a lot of people think about it. And a lot of us, you know, might be scratching our heads and going, you know, I think we were a little bit sanitary enough, but maybe not enough. Maybe just, you know, crank it up. Go up to 11. Go up to 11 with it. That's one of the, the big takeaways. So, uh, the home life has been, uh, you know, my wife has finished her classes. Hallelujah! She is excited to be finished her classes now uh, because it's uh, something that she doesn't have to stress and worry about. It, you know, that, that that's been a change with COVID and trying to adapt to an online learning environment uh, when you're used to going to campus and all that. It disrupted some home routines and all that jazz, uh, which which is fine. Which it, it, it's fine, but but my wife is overjoyed that that's done. Uh, it's my it's the first anniversary of my thirtieth birthday tomorrow. I am I I got an amazing present. Um, in fact. Let me pause this real quick. I don't do this often. I don't do the pause cuts, but hold on. As I stated, I I don't do the pause cuts very, very often, but uh, this was... It's a book. It's a book that my daughter is in, but also... Yours truly is in it. See that? Yours truly is in the book. I got I got this book and the box that it came in is a board game. What? It's a board game that I could play with my daughter when she's a little bit older and understands that stuff. Uh, wow. Little game board on the back too. More 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 stuff. Uh, amazing birthday present. <laughs> um, very, very. Uh, when I opened that up, I, I got hit in the feels. Right about here, um, I got hit in the feels with that, and and it was like two reasons why I did. Because, well, maybe three. Uh, it's a gift about my daughter and me, so automatic feels hit right there. Uh, two, especially over the last couple of days, it's just the 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 growth that I've you know, seen, uh, she's eight months old now and, and she's really starting to like, you know, dive into these things, uh, to a crazy degree and extent. She's in size three diapers. Oh my God. That happened overnight. Um, 
a lot of the changes have been magnificent to see. But we talk about how you know she's grown up a lot, and and you know that hits me in the feels too. So that's two, and then um, three. I wasn't you know I wasn't really expecting any birthday presents you know or anything extravagant anyway, especially with the with the COVID stuff going on. Uh, but to get a gift like that and then have it not just all be about me uh, or, you know, some stupid, goofy little Funko Pop that I would want or or podcasting equipment or something, you know, something like that that's very, very sentimental and it hit me in a different way. You know, I've realized I've evolved from, I've evolved from, you know, teenage Fritz that, that wants stuff just for the sake of having stuff to, you know, it, it getting something far more personal and and meaningful uh I, I know i guess i guess i got emotional in a moment of maturity uh to say the least uh but but amazing <laughs> amazing a uh, birthday gift and i'm sure people have seen that book in in ads or or whatever that that pop up on your social media and, and stuff like that if if you've seen it and thought huh that looks interesting uh, definitely take a deeper look into it because you can customize it. You can obviously, you know, put custom names in it and all that. Like my name is in the book, so is Emery's name. It's amazing. But that, you know, this is you know modern day. I, I showed it to like, I showed pictures of it to my mother and all that. She's like, yeah, we didn't have that stuff when you kids were growing up, and that was only you know thirty years ago. So, oh man, but but things we're in a more personalized world where you can make goofy little sentimental things like that. So, uh, absolutely amazing. Thank you, baby for that. Uh, because I'll, I'll, I will cherish that for a long time to come for sure. Absolutely. Uh, uh, now onto the news other than COVID. Um, yesterday, one of the big things that I said that we were going to talk about was the, the libertarian national convention, uh, which happened, uh, surprisingly, over a Zoom meeting. Uh, <laughs> I'm not lying about that either. Uh, let me... The, the the Libertarian Party YouTube page had... Uh, there was two days of, of live streams, several hours long. And they have a webinar today as well going on. A couple errors. And, they're I don't want I don't want loud um audio to come in. Very very sorry about that. Uh but they have uh they have their live stream. They have a live stream going on right now because today, in fact, they are nominating the uh vice presidential candidate for the party because we libertarians we do that separately. Uh but wow. Shoot! All right, let me uh, let me do the transition real quick, just to show you this uh, transition. Whoa! Liber- LNC convention day two yesterday, picking the the presidential nomination. Uh, did you see the timestamp there? Eleven hours fifty five minutes. Woo! Woo! There was a day one convention too. That was only five hours, but uh, and I can tell you, day one was. Even though it was far shorter, it was probably far more painful, uh, all things considered. Uh, so they, they they picked their presidential 
nominee yesterday, and there was, uh, I think, four rounds of voting that that took place, and they ended up, uh, surprise, su- surprise, surprise, the nominee is not Jacob Hornberger, surprise, surprise, the nominee is not Justin Amash, who dropped out of the race, uh, and surprise, surprise, the nominee is not Vermin Supreme. Uh, the nominee is Joe Jurgensen. Uh, surprisingly, the the person that uh, whose name I screwed up saying last week because I almost called her Amy Joe Johnson or Amy Joe Jurgensen. I I was combining her with the Pink Power Ranger name because I'm an idiot. It happens, but. Uh, Joe Jorgensen, kind of like out of the blue, out of the dark, uh, swept, uh, taking the the, the nomination, uh, kind of unexpectedly, considering uh, somebody like Jacob Hornberger was winning the uh, non-binding, the non-binding primary and caucuses that that the Libertarians run. Uh, He was winning lots of straw polls. Uh, and Amy kind of was just in the background, not not really uh, picking up that. Uh, so I'm trying to look up real quick here the uh, the rounds of voting. Lots of congratulations for for Joe for Liberty out there. We'll actually go through that uh, in a moment. But there were several rounds of voting, and, and Joe Jorgensen was actually in the top for for a lot of uh, for a lot of those votes. And the libertarian process works; they can't declare a nominee until somebody has fifty percent of the vote, at least fifty percent. But I think it's one percentage point over that. And so they do. It's almost the. It's similar. Although it's different from ranked choice voting and uh, and percentages like that, so they do first round vote with all the eligible candidates. The percentages come up, and then anybody like under five percent gets cut, and then they go to second round voting. As long as somebody hasn't cracked over the fifty percentile or whatever the ex- exact percentage is to to elect, so round one happened. Nobody had that threshold. They cut the bottom people out. They go again on that vote. Still, if they don't have a result, they'll take the lowest, cut them out, run it again. And uh, so it's 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 not like ranked choice in that sense. Um, because ranked choice would simply be like, this is my pref- this is my number one preference, my number two preference, my number three preference. Uh, uh, it just it comes back into play. So it's like, you know, if your candidate... For these delegates, at least, anyway, it's not it's not a whole libertarian participation thing. It's the libertarian delegates to the convention that 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 make those votes. So it comes into play that you know if you picked one of the candidates that was you know five percent or less and gets cut off, well now you go okay these are the f- this is the field left. We had six, they cut off two, you know so there's four left which of the four do we really really like uh that we would be more than comfortable voting for 
and it goes on and on. And, and Joe Jorgensen, despite the fact that she had a, a fairly quiet um, run, I, I believe she had a fairly quiet run until uh, about four or five weeks ago when Justin Amash was rumored and then came into play. As soon as Justin Amash came into play, it seemed like Joe skyrocketed herself up. Like she took the opportunity of the attention that was coming to the party uh, as dynamically as she could. Uh, there, there was several different approaches that happened. Jacob Hornberger, for example, did like an eight-part series about why Justin Amash was uh, uh, bad for the Libertarian Party and should not be trusted and all this crap um, that actually made people like me uh, and other colleagues that I've talked to who I will not I will not name, I will not put them out there like that. Uh, but having... I interviewed Jacob Hornberger on this program, and you can go back and watch that if you if you so desire to see what his campaign about uh, was about and, and his attitudes towards, you know, COVID and how to go about uh, with, the, with the Libertarian presidential nomination. You can watch all of that. But, um, and I was solidly in Jacob Hornberger's corner and was ready to fully support him and his run. Then Justin Amash came along. I had a little bit of changing of a heart because Justin Amash helped bring me into libertarianism. Now, see, I'm, I'm admitting a personal bridge there, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying, oh, screw the rest of them. I'm just saying Justin Amash had uh, fueled a fire in me from, from a long time ago, and that's true for a lot of people as well. So the libertarian purists out there who are like, Justin Amash is just a GOP reject, he brought in a good amount of people to the idea of libertarianism, and he was hailed by libertarians, libertarian media, and all this as a, a, like a tried and true libertarian representative who just wasn't bearing the title. And now, by the way, he is in the House of Representatives bearing the libertarian title. He's he's put it out there. He had no personal benefit to do any of that. He had no personal benefit to switch, uh, to drop from the Republican Party and switch over to the Libertarian Party. I don't see that as like an opportunistic move. Uh, he did come in late to this game. Those are valid criticisms against him. I don't think it makes him a grifter uh, or slimy or any of that stuff that people wanted to throw out there at him. And I certainly don't believe it warranted an eight-part you know, uh, uh, supreme principle lecture from from Jacob Hornberger. Uh, so it was really off-putting to me, and clearly in the votes that happened uh, amongst the delegates, it was off-putting to the delegates as well. Uh, but Jacob is a principled, uh, pointed candidate because uh, he went after Amash left, he kind of changed his tune and was very, very thankful for Justin Amash coming on board. And then he and Joe Jorgensen butted heads over several issues as well. Uh, but I'm going to play Jacob's concession speech in, in just a second. Uh, so it's it's Joe Jorgensen. She, she's, like I said, she I think she kind of boldly... Uh, took the opportunity when Justin Amash came in to bolster herself up. I think she appealed uh, much more to Justin Amash's base than probably some of the other candidates did. And and this is where we stand with it. 
let me Chrome window. I'm gonna put some different graphics uh, up here too. Like like I was just using one of my old uh, cover arts for that. Uh, let's see here. This is Jacob Hornberger's video. Uh, let's 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 listen to what Jacob had to say. Announced my candidacy for your nomination. And ever since, it's just been an awesome experience. It's been a transformative event in my life. I mean, attending all these conventions and interacting with y'all has just been friggin' a highlight of my life. It's been an awesome experience. Doing all these debates against really first-class candidates and opponents has just been fantastic. But Joe, you know, Joe and I announced at the same time, ironically enough, and she knows that I hold her in the highest respect and the highest esteem. We've actually gotten to be pretty good friends. You'd never know it the way we were battering each other in these debates. But her, her uh, campaign manager, Steve Dosbach, and I become friends. And I just got to commend them on the fantastic campaign they ran. I mean, this surge at the end was just brilliant. Uh, I want to thank my campaign team, Jake Porter. I, I can't thank you enough, Jake. I mean, what you've done, I just marvel at. And as my campaign manager, uh, Eric Sawyer, Chas Sanders, and Mitch Wycheck, you having those Tuesday night ask me anything is just awesome. Mike Rinaldi, technological genius, Kathy Yeniskovich, Jocelyn Fry, B. Berger, Thomas Hill, the Mises Caucus, Michael Heiss, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Scott Horton, Angela McCardle, Howard Blitz, Austin Tudor, all the donors and supporters, and all y'all that came up at me at state conventions and encouraged me. Thank you for the bottom of my heart. Nicholas Sarwak, you have run one heck of an operation here. I am really impressed with what you've done here. Now let's all band together and help Joe run the most successful campaign in LP history. Thank you all so much. It's Jacob for Liberty bowing out. We have Adam Kokesh. Thoughts from Adam Kokesh. Uh... Really confrontational, but I, I like how you handle that. And I, I really do appreciate your message as being a great combining of the pragmatic and the principled ideas that seem to create an artificial divide in this movement like you and I have. Uh, in the middle, I think, sort of in this, in this both making an effort to blend on those things, and I really appreciate that compared to maybe Jacob on one side and, and Judge Gray on the other and Vermin on a different poll, perhaps. But I, I really think that uh, you have a great message that combines those things. I would only say in that sense I, I have an advantage in, in the policy of localization and yep, the greater platform that I bring to this. So I would, I, would I would love to work with you as a running mate. Either way, I think we both have that strategic advantage. Adam Kokesh kind of uh, changing his tune over the last couple of days, uh, throwing his hat, wanting to throw his hat into a, a, a VP run uh, for the Libertarian nomination uh, for for president or for vice president because he was he, he wasn't going to make the presidency. Uh, you know, th there's a lot that we can go into. With this, uh, uh, the reaction on Twitter has been very, very mixed. But this is this is always the case with libertarians. It was like when Justin Amash came in, there was a wave of people that were super excited that he was coming in uh, as part of the presidential debate, not naming names, not pointing at people, not saying anybody in particular was you know supremely excited for Justin Amash. I'm just saying there were a lot of people. That were. 
Um, and then when he, you know, he dropped out a lot of people, you know, but there was a mix of that. There, there was people who were super excited and there was people who were super not, <laughs> super not, including Jacob Hornberger, including a lot of Jake, Jacob Hornberger's fan base, including a lot of people in the Mises caucus. It is what it is. Um, uh, people didn't like how fast it happened. People didn't like, uh, how untested Justin Amash was, despite the fact that he has years, mind you, as a congressman uh, under his belt, voting right on plank with uh, a, a, a more minarchist uh, approach to things and definitely a constitutional approach to things. And he's one of the few people, Justin Amash, that is, he's one of the few people that will actually break down why he voted certain ways on certain bills. You don't get that a lot with representatives anymore. Uh, regardless, regardless, you have mixed thoughts on Jacob Hornberger, who people br- brought up his past uh, over uh, the 1996 election, which included Harry Brown uh, and Joe Jorgensen, who was the VP nominee for that ticket, the Brown ticket. Uh, a lot of people brought up Jacob Hornberger's past because uh, he's got a storied history of, of you know, kind of being uh, the poking with the stick, you know, that, that, that guy that pokes something with a stick and agitates the situation. Uh, Vermin Supreme was a completely different dynamic for the, for the Libertarian Party. Vermin Supreme's whole campaign was be in on the joke. Uh, Vermin came up with this whole social media campaign about how he could help the Libertarian Party if he was the nominee, being part of the joke, you know, taking his whole 30 years of, of rhetoric and um, his 30 years of rhetoric and, and activism and, uh, and, and satire, but rolling it into a serious campaign. Vermin Supreme was a serious candidate. Vermin Supreme did bring a lot of people, a lot of eyeballs looking at the Libertarian party uh whether people want to admit it or not uh whether people want to debate whether or not it's a good idea to have a guy who wears a boot on his head uh, as a as a candidate when you're trying to quote unquote legitimize the party uh we're we're, we're, we're treading into that whole legitimize the party thing in just a moment so hold your thoughts uh, but Vermin Supreme, it's hard to argue about how, you know, did did Vermin Supreme make an impact this election cycle? Yes, I believe Vermin Supreme brought people in. I think he brought a whole flock of people in. And it wasn't about getting free ponies. It was just fun to talk about. Uh, free ponies, uh, mandatory toothbrushing laws, and a friendly fascist who should run your life. Uh, but... Uh, you know, among them, you know, you had Jacob Hornberger, the principal candidate, Vermin Supreme, the, you know, off-the-wall candidate? I don't know. Uh, Adam Kokesh, the candidate that wanted to dissolve the entire federal government and boil it back down to the states and locality. And still, even as a VP candidate, calling for localization of a lot in the political power spectrum. Uh, John Mons, who, I mean, was like, a, he's a, he was a very quiet, less impactful voice during this process, it seems. But towards the end, uh, you know, it, it was hard to argue with John Mons' uh, resume, having garnered a million votes uh, in a state by himself as a libertarian. That's pretty, that's pretty, 
accomplishing to speak of. And then, um, you know, but then you have some of the other candidates, you know, there's a laundry list of other ones that, uh, that were not up there, uh, really t- in the speaking for that, for that larger discussion. Uh, so now comes the fun bit. <laughs> now comes, now comes the fun discussion, uh, because of the mixed reaction. Now, Joe, she was part of the Harry Brown ticket in 1996, which she links, and, and it kind of does check out, that uh, that that was the largest growth of the Libertarian Party and the largest maintained, sustained growth of the Libertarian Party. This is going to come into play uh, quite shortly as I dive into talking about 2016. A lot of the reaction to Joe is people saying, Who? Who? Who is she? Who? Who? I don't, I'm not, I'm not a libertarian purist to say, you know, you have to know every facet of libertarian history. Uh, so you gotta, re- you gotta be able to remember the 1996 election, especially when in 1996, I was se- seven, you know, <laughs> I was seven. I don't know much about the libertarian party prior to me gaining an interest in the mid to late 2010s, 2012, recently. And that's the case for a lot of people. So a lot of people are going to go, who, who is Joe? Well, let's go to the Chrome window. Transition! It's the Chrome window. We're, uh, we're going to get off my Twitter. This is Joe Jorgensen's website as of right now. Now, obviously, we're going to need to do some tweaking, retooling, polishing, brushing up, and really putting flair on this thing. Uh, because it's just kind of your standard blah, boring, you know, breakdown. Uh, but, you know, we can go to the issues, and you can look at Joe's platform. It is, is this in a boring format? You betcha. It doesn't need to be spiced up. Absolutely. But uh, I see that coming in, in a quick wave now that she's the actual nominee. Uh, she's going to be starting to get in resources that uh, she was not privy to prior to this. Uh, but Joe Jorgensen's big thing right here. Bold, practical, libertarian vision. Um, I, I said this on Twitter the, the other day. and uh, Oh, here he goes. He's coming back to Twitter. Yeah, I'll go back to Twitter. Uh, we'll go to my profile page. Uh, because I did a comprehensive breakdown of the last libertarian debate, which was on Thursday night, Friday-ish. Um, I had a breakdown candidate by candidate in there. And show this thread. And uh, so I went with Jacob, you know, I, I did Jacob Hornberger. We're kind of done talking about the other candidates uh, right now. So what I said about Joe Jorgensen... Right here, has risen highly ever since Justin Amash's brief debut and abrupt departure. Amash came with a more of a constitutionalist, minarchist vibe about him, and his presence seemed to bring Joe out of the pack to appeal more so to Amash supporters. Uh, what is it about Joe? Joe seems to be a bold and pragmatic candidate with a more realistic approach to things. She concedes presidential power is not almighty and unending, and she concedes that people outside of the libertarian perspectives will need to be shown why our way is better. 
The greater debate, Joe seems to be the choice to go with if you feel like principles do in fact matter, but persuasion and proving it matter as well. This is the candidate to choose for the walk backwards approach that I often talk about. Freedom was eroded in baby steps. It is regained in baby steps. And then this uh, excerpt, I believe was from a Reason article uh, interview, where they asked her, quote, are there any aspects of a hardcore libertarian message you think are just totally unpalatable to a typical voter? And she responded saying, I am supporting the libertarian platform plank by plank, but what is not persuasive is someone just saying, I'm for liberty and I'm for freedom, and that's all. Um, Jacob Hornberger. The people who will be convinced by liberty and freedom for their own sake are probably already in the party. Uh, what we have to do is to convince soccer moms, business people, the average person that our, that our ideas will work better. For example, I don't think it's a good tactic to just say, it's my body, I can put whatever I want in it, take whatever drugs I want. We need to explain to Americans that this is how that would help you. Crime will go down, your kids won't have drug dealers in schools or as neighborhood role models of success. Whoever heard of a liquor store owner pushing gin on kids in middle school? I want to argue from a practical standpoint, explain that most Americans that I'm not supporting drug legalization because I want to use drugs or I want you to use drugs. I want a better, safer America for your kids and one with less violence. So I could see uh, where some people would say, eh, she's, she's just she's not for me because she's, she's this incrementalist. She's, she's not going to boldly stand in front of everybody and say libertarianism only and immediately Thanos. That's one of the big things that uh, people need to get over. Uh, another criticism that I've seen is people saying, oh, she's not going to get even more than 2% of the vote. What libertarian candidate was going to get more than that? Literally. When we talk about this, a lot of people are going back to 2016. They're looking at the 2016 numbers, what Gary Johnson and Bill Weld did. <laughs> it really depends on what libertarians you want to get in an argument with uh, because a lot of people are going to tell you that uh, 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 Gary Johnson and Bill Weld were not principled libertarians running on a pure libertarian platform. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna make the argument, which this argument makes sense. They were the option, they were the bad taste in my mouth option for really either of the parties. P- people could vote for 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 Gary Johnson and Bill Weld uh, because uh, they believed some of the core stuff, and they didn't have to bite their tongue. Uh, or swallow their pride in voting for Donald Trump or or Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know what? One you know what? One of the biggest benefits of the 2016 election that Gary Johnson and Bill Weld had. That's not even it's it doesn't apply to this election. Uh, I would argue in the slightest, it doesn't apply to this election. This is it right here. Right from Gallup.com. Trump and Clinton finished uh, in November, right prior to the election, 
They finish with historically poor images. All right. The final pre-election scalometer for unfavorable ratings for the candidates was Trump at 61% and Hillary Clinton at 52%. Uh, Trump's 61% was the worst in presidential polling history, and Clinton's 52% was the second worst. They were roughly matched in highly unfavorable images. And this carried through throughout. Um, As you can see for the 2016, Donald Trump total favorable was 36%. Hillary's favorable was 47%. Comparing it to other people, uh, Barry Goldwater was uh, 43 favorable, 47 unfavorable. Uh, Mitt Romney was 55 favorable, 43 unfavorable. Uh, McGovern in 72 was 55, 41 uh, John Kerry in 2004 was 57 to 40. George H.W. Bush 59 to 40. Uh, George W. Bush 61 favorable to 39 unfavorable. Barack Obama 62 to 37. Uh, you know, there before prior these numbers, <laughs> as you can see, these numbers uh, slowly, slowly went from the 80s to the 50s into the 40s and then historically historically low Clinton and Trump 2016 that's also backed up by uh, CNN 2016 March 22nd 2016 Uh, the polls just were not in either of those people's favor that's why the 2016 election was uh, shaping up to be one of the top uh, opportunities for libertarians. Uh, and Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, as, as as historic in a performance it was, it was, you know, I think the most votes that um, a third party garnered in history. What people don't realize is that it's not, it's not 5%. Um, I'm right here on the Wikipedia page for the 2016 presidential election and some numbers that I just want to point out real quick. The turnout for the election up here, 55.7% voter turnout, okay? Up slightly, not even a whole percentage point um, from the prior election, so not even an increase. Uh, Trump's popular vote was 62,984,000, call it 63 million. And uh, Hillary Clinton was 65,853, 46. 6.1% for Trump, 48.2% for Hillary. Um, just just horrendous uh, f- polling for real. Uh, polling turnout for, for, for both of them. And uh, back to the results. This is, this is the thing that gets me with libertarians and talking about percentage points and all that. Gary Johnson, Bill Weld. Popular vote. Percentage, 3.28%. They didn't even garner 5 million votes. They got 4,489,341 votes. 3.28% of the vote. Not 4%, not 5%. You hear a lot of people say 5%. They did not get 5% of the vote. So one of the the things I saw against uh, Joe 
was people saying, oh, she's not even going to get half of that. She's not even going to get 2%. She might not even get much past 1%. Um, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld didn't get 4 million votes being bold, uh, uh, dynamic, radical libertarians. They got 4 million votes by telling people that they were socially liberal, fiscally conservative, and not being mean to Hillary Clinton. And in fact, Weld was kind of apologetic to Hillary Clinton. Those were the numbers from 2016. 3.28%, 4,489,341 votes. And and then going off of the rest of this, by the way, Jill Steen and uh, Ajamu Baraka got 1% of the vote and a million people, almost a million and a half people voting for them. Uh, uh, Evan McMullen almost got a quarter of, or almost got three quarters of a million vote with uh, half a percentage point, 0.54% of the vote. 731,000 votes for an independent dude from Utah. Last election had historically unfavorable candidates, and that's just not the case this time. That's not the case in the in, in this case of, of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump. Donald Trump's coming off of a, a party that, or, or he's coming off of a of a wave of Democratic attacks, whether legitimate or not, is a different story. I don't want to bust this uh, into some big, long, drawn out uh, thing. But he's coming off. Wave after wave after wave after wave of Democrats trying to remove him from office and impede him, uh, which which kind of boosted his favorability past what it was in in the 2016 election. He's he's had four years of presidency under his belt now, so the game and the dynamics changed a little bit. And then Joe Biden's just a completely uninspiring. This is not Trump. Pick him candidate. Uh, while they try to. Uh, frame it as such as saving the republic. He's not Joe Biden's not bold. Joe Joe Biden's not uh, dynamic. He's just Joe Biden. So when people say, "Oh, Joe wasn't going to get more than two percent of the vote," I Jacob Hornberger wasn't going to get more than than two percent of the vote. Libertarians were going to get libertarians. Period. It doesn't matter who you put up there. Out of the candidates that were running, it could have been any one of them. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, Adam Kokesh. Uh, uh, the the only one, the only ones that you could really argue that had a more dynamic reach were Justin Amash, who dropped because of partly, I believe, how he was treated. Uh, but he's still libertarian. He's still carrying the banner, and he's going behind Joe Jorgensen now. Uh, but he was the only one that had the possibility of breaking past more than just libertarian voters, aside from Vermin Supreme. And Vermin Supreme would have been the choice, uh, would have been, that would have been one hell of a gamble choice. Do we want to be in on the joke? Do we want to say that the whole thing's a joke, and so we're going to put forward our joke candidate, quote-unquote, but he was legit, uh, Vermin Supreme is a very caring dude, very pragmatic, um, very bold, pragmatic um, 
definitely in for liberty. Definitely a libertarian. Uh, just with this aura about him that's, a, that's you know, very much a satire in his character. Uh, it would have been, dare I say, bold. I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying that it should have been Vermin Supreme. Let me back up. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if, if there was anything that was going to be a, a long shot at gaining just a massive amount of votes, which... Uh, in the argument, in, in arguing with libertarians about this, it's not supposed to be about grabbing the most votes. It's supposed to be about, supposed to be about having a principled person that can tout the libertarian banner. Um, I talked to many people in Jacob Hornberger's camp who said that they would rather vote for Jacob Hornberger, Hornberger and only have a million people vote for Jacob Hornberger as long as it was a million principled voters that were going to stick with the libertarian party. I believe that that was going to be the case anyway. I believe that that was going to be the case anyway. Libertarians hardly have to appeal to their own voter base. I mean, despite the fact that we fight each other all the time on who's libertarian and not who carries this banner better or not, you really don't have to fight for, for the libertarian votes for the presidency of the United States, which is, by the way, this is the stupidest thing to be arguing over. Um how bold and impacting our presidential nomination will be when really it's going to be smaller local elections and, and down-ballot candidates that help build up the legitimacy of the party that could eventually lead to a libertarian president. I don't see how any other candidate was going to be bolder than that. And no candidate, by the way, will be bold if we don't get behind that candidate and demand that that candidate be in the national mix, be in the media mix of this presidential race of 2020. That that's it, you know, is Joe Jorgensen going to get more? It's it's semant it's arguing semantics at this point. I want to get behind Joe because she's a principled libertarian candidate who just has a different approach that you might not like. And if you don't like it, I'm going to try to convince you over the next couple of months why perhaps this incrementalist approach might be better to try to turn more Americans over to libertarianism. Because, face it, you weren't going to be voting Adam Kokesh in and having him snap away the government. You weren't going to have Jacob Hornberger voted in, garnering more votes than just the libertarian vote, snapping his fingers and getting rid of all bad aspects of the government. And you weren't going to get Vermin Supreme snapping his fingers, getting rid of all bad aspects of the government while riding, whilst riding a pony that was given to you for free. It just wasn't going to happen. So... This is where we stand. This is where we stand. 2020 election is not measuring up in the unfavorability category to 2016. 2016 was historic in unfavorability for the candidates. It's not the case this time. We're not going to be able to just grab nearly 5 million votes by saying, wow, these guys suck, which... As much as I pushed for Johnson Welton 2016, uh, it's it was a losing strategy. Because as Todd Hagopian said on my program back in December, me and Todd Hagopian could have ran in 2016 and got 5 million votes without really even doing anything. 
So the question is, what are we as libertarians going to do to get behind Joe Jorgensen, push her into the national spotlight, and tell America, not only is there other candidates that should be considered, not only should we have that discussion, but maybe, just maybe, it's time to look at things in a libertarian perspective. What can we do for that? That should be our focus. That should be our message. Joe Jorgensen, congratulations on winning the nomination for the Libertarian Party for the presidency of the United States. I back you fully, ma'am. I hope to have you on this very program where we can discuss this. And I look forward to doing whatever I can here at FritzCast to bring libertarianism to a national spotlight and to do the best that we can in the 2020 election cycle, not only for the presidency, but for down-ballot candidates as well. That's the focus we need. We need to unite as a libertarian party. We need to stop being little children fighting over who's libertarian enough or not, fighting over which candidate was the most utmost principled candidate. Our delegates chose a damn good candidate. Even if people are even if people's initial reaction right now is who? Well, let's get at those people and let's not leave them hanging for not knowing who Joe is. Let's not belittle them for not knowing who Joe is. Let's go out and tell them who Joe is. Let's get them to like Joe. That's the approach that it should be. Now, guys, that's going to do it for me for this week. And I appreciate you tuning in and listening. Yes, I am going to dive into more on Joe Jorgensen to give you guys some ideas, some perspective of who she is, what she's about, the issues at hand, her approach to tackling these issues on a national scale as president of the United States. That's what I want going forward. You can catch me on Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. Twitter is at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q-S. Minds.com slash FritzCast. And if you want to reach me personally, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. Guys, I love you. Have a good week. Uh, I, I still intend to pump out episodes on my vacation coming up, so you can still expect to see this pretty face. Um, got some interviews getting lined up as well, and um, I'm at least slated for one or two shows myself. Uh, so I'll give you more information on that. Keep your eyes peeled on social media. Enjoy yourselves, guys, and, and libertarians. Stop, stop fighting each other. Just stop it. Bad. Love you guys. <laughs>